Hello and welcome to you wherever you are in the world and thanks for inviting us to join you on your walk, run, cycle, commute, gardening or whatever else you do whilst you're listening to us. Matthew Grant here, partner at Instec and I get the week off this week as Robin Mertens is back behind the microphone with our two guests. Now, if you are a regular listener, you will know that we are speaking to people across many areas of insurance innovation. And one thing's for sure, there is always a lot to be learned from the insurers themselves when we talk to them. They are, after all, the ones buying and using some of the great technology new and established that is out there. We're particularly delighted to have Matt Free as one of our members because they are committed to supporting innovation and new ideas across many areas. Joanne Cusco, who leads Matt Free's Open Innovation Initiative joins us today with Nicholas Montserrat from Accenture, and they are talking about digital health. Well, Robin's had a busy week. He's also released his report on algorithmic underwriting in specialty insurance. That was on the 15th of March and is now available on the website, www.instec.london. And finally, before I hand over to Robin, an offer to any of you intrigued by what we are doing at Instec and looking for your next adventure. Well, with the growth in membership numbers, global expansion, and the increased volume of research work and reports we are producing, we are growing the team. We're hiring analysts, account managers, and more at both senior and junior levels across the business. So please do contact me, Matthew Grant, on LinkedIn if you want to know more. Now, over to Robin. Hello, everybody, and, and welcome to this week's Instech London uh, podcast. We're going to concentrate this week on um, digital healthcare, and uh, I have a stellar panel. I've got Nicholas Montserrat with me, who's the Managing Director of Accenture Digital Health. He leads their European digital healthcare business. I've got Jan Cusco, who's the Head of Transformation at Matfrey. Welcome both. Nicholas, we haven't had you on before, but perhaps you'd like to quickly introduce yourself. You, 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 I see from your LinkedIn profile that you've been a long-time Accenture man. Yes, I'm an Accenture baby, 30 years in Accenture. I uh, did most of my career working for uh, for the public sector and the public service and healthcare also. Uh, and over the last 10 years, uh, my work was really digital transformation. How do you engage transforming from normal to digital uh, everything? And now I'm focusing on that for healthcare, which is obviously an interesting uh, area for future growth for our clients and also uh, better health of, of the people. So it's also for our lives. Well, yes, thanks very much for joining us. And, and Joan, we've had you before. Tell us a little bit about your role and how, how, far, it, how far it extends at MapFray. I'm part of MapFray Open Innovation, which is our dedicated structure uh, to foster the transformation in the company. We are an insurance company, by the way, in case anyone uh, doesn't know us. Our role includes specifically the collaboration with the startups. We have a vendor client program called InsureSpace, for which, by the way, this week we are opening a new call for startups specifically for health and well-being. We also deal with the investments in venture capital, both the direct investments and the investments through our partner fund, Alma Mundi InsureTech, which is now opening a second fund, 250 million target size, which I think it's, it's quite relevant now in the InsureTech scene. And we also deal with the collaboration with universities, both for entrepreneurship, with incubation and acceleration programs, and for research. So we can't talk about um, the future of healthcare without talking about the pandemic. Um, and, and so can we start naturally with how the pandemic has changed uh, the healthcare industry? There was a sort of big boon in um, the digitization of healthcare. And Nicholas, where, that, where has that left us? Um, how has it changed consumer behavior and how has it changed the way in which healthcare is provided? So very recently, we released a global survey uh, about this specific uh, uh, topic. 
And the, the, the summary points are the following. The first one is obviously it has accelerated the digitalization that was already taking place. So people using digital technologies, actually most of them said the access was similar to before. So 50% said it was like before. 20% said better. Uh, 30% said I struggled with technology. And it's actually very specific on each country, like in the UK, for example. We know the NHS has been struggling at the beginning with the pandemic and, and the digital challenge. And that's a place where we see most people saying I've been struggling. On the other side, the French uh, citizen said it was actually better uh, because the government did a good work. One specific point to take in, in to keep in mind there, um, there is age matters. So we see the elderly, uh, the over 50, a third of them have said their access have worsened. And digital divide risk is very, very present in healthcare, especially because the elderly are the ones needing the most care and they are the ones struggling with digital challenges. So, so think about it, accelerating, all good, but take care of the elderly. John, to you, do you feel that the healthcare insurance sector was changed by it? Are you in a bit different place to where you were two years ago? Where, as you mentioned, definitely, um, the pandemic has accelerated all the transition to the digital world. It's now a commodity for good uh, for our customers as well. Um, it leads to efficiencies, but it leads uh, overall to a transitioning mindset as well, you know. So we are in between understanding that things that were somewhere in the hype place before the pandemic, like the wearables. We've seen, for instance, how the Samsung Galaxy Watch and the Apple Watch they were used as oximeters during the pandemic. So it, it used to be like a nice to have, like a nice gadget, a fashion statement maybe, but suddenly you can monitor the, the, the oxygen in, in blood from the elders at home because they have the medical device certification. So that's one of the transitions. And the other transitions is related, the transition in the mindset is related to the idea of well-being and caring. The pandemic put all of us at risk. And suddenly you see these youngsters, you know, 20 something, on the street with the mask and using uh, alcoholic gel and things like this uh, to prevent everything. And at the same time, they were smoking. So it's like, hey, 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 so probably smoking is going to kill you before COVID. So uh, so they were realizing that, hey, that there's something about their health that cannot be stalled until they are 50. But well-being and health starts from the day you are born. Listening to you both speak, it, it makes me think that there's a sort of straightforward dynamic which says um, the more uh, digital you are, the more you embrace wearables, the more um, technology enabled you are, the greater opportunity. Is that a, Nicholas, is that a great gross simplification? In other words, um, does the healthcare industry has to digitize um, quickly in order to be able to get better? Or is it that just me being sort of a technology evangelist? I think it depends on the issue you are trying to solve. So if you are trying to solve the issue of getting people excited, uh, getting more data about themselves and, and, and trying to create some value out of it, uh, wearables is a way to go, right? The um, people like to, to know their weight uh, and to know their risk of having a heart failure. It's actually not very easy to, to earn money on that, direct money, because it's more kind of a marketing and an image. So that's for solving this issue. If you actually want to solve the other issue, which is preventing people from having uh, cardiovascular disease by collecting this data, it's way more complex. Then you need to have people call the patient when something is wrong, and then you need to find the right care, and then you need to find the right way to engage the health professionals. And that is end-to-end. So the gadget side is easy. The impact on people's lives is way more complicated. John, haven't insurers got something um, slightly similar running? One could wear sort of wearables or advocate uh, the use of wearables as a kind of 
marketing device to get people excited. But but underneath the bonnet, haven't we got a sort of fundamental issue around um, being able to cope with a digital world and real time data and early intervention and all these sort of things? Have we got the same dynamic? Yes, definitely. So these are the two main issues is how we can use those, those data. Uh, but it's not only about privacy and regulation and so on. It's actually how we incorporate them in our actuarial models. And it's more about thinking on predictive models and forecasting rather than using statistical models based on historic data, which is a complete paradigm shift in the industry. And on the other side is also understanding that uh, well, there's hardly a viable business model in today's connected insurance space in any business line. So the, the UBI applies to auto, the connected home with all the censoring stuff and a nightmare of hardware pieces and it's the connected lifestyle, let's say, for health and life. It's tricky. So uh, all, all of these hardware efforts go against your margins and there are sorts of uh, operational challenges around the hardware value chain. But I would say that the new risks we are facing from now on the new sort of cyber risk, the new sort of climate risk, the new sort of health and well-being risk, not only a pandemic, make it, let's say, a must for insurers to embrace this new way of thinking. Sensors, data, real-time, predictive models. So I think that this shift is not a gimmick, it's not something we can choose. We are facing a new, ever-changing reality that will require us to work with this new sort of uh, inputs and uh, algorithmic, let's say, work. If you go and see a doctor and say, here is, uh, you know, all my data from my Apple Watch uh, about my cardiovascular disease, in many, many places in Europe, the doctor will say, I don't trust this data. You will need to take an exam so that I can get properly trusted uh, exam results that I can actually leverage. So the question is, when will this shift happen where the bulk of data provided by the patient will actually be a trustable source for the healthcare provider side? or for an insurance company to offer you a better plan because it shows you take care of your health. This shift here is starting to happen in several places, especially the U.S. or places where healthcare is very very managed on the private side. In Europe, it's going to need to be a little more complex because of the complexities of the system. The, the governments and the public providers, the private side, the payers, uh, and obviously the people. Can I break that down a little bit? Because I, I find that really intriguing. So if you start with the consumer... I ask myself the first question, which is, will the consumer play nicely in this new nirvana where, uh, in an interconnected world where we all um, share and trust data? Age 62 with a lifestyle that no doctor has approved of for 40 years, I don't want my healthcare provider or my insurer nudging me once a month to tell me that I need to take more exercise or drink less red wine. So uh, have we got yet got to a point where consumers are prepared to trust the healthcare industry and the health insurance industry with their data. John, what do you think? On one side, not all innovations are for everyone. So we need to find the segment of the population that are actually interested in those advancements and also try to foster the adoption on the other segments because this is for the good. This is not for profit for the insurance companies. This is for the good of the whole society. Let me illustrate that with an example. We were launching a pilot in, in Latin America, and it was around a very sensitive topic around sexual reproductive health. When we did the quantity and qualitative analysis of the first iteration of the pilot, we had three differentiated segments. So we have a segment saying, I love it, and I use it every day, I love the way we engage with the solution, it helped me a lot. 
Of course, we had some neutrals, but then we had a bunch of people, a sub-segment saying, I don't care about this. I don't need it. I don't want my insurer telling me when my next period is going to come. The point here is, okay, we need to understand that there's this segment that we can serve and that we can satisfy. But at the same point, when we ask the overall population, how do you feel about your insurer providing these types of solutions? Even those saying, I don't want to use that, I don't want this kind of relationship, had said that their perception of our brand had increased vastly. 98% of respondents say, I feel better about my relationship with Mafre, knowing that they care about this stuff, even if it's not me, the target audience. That's very interesting. Nicholas, go to the other end of the spectrum. I look here from a sort of UK lens, and I look at the nightmare associated with NHS records, availability of NHS records, digitizing NHS records, the fact that the private sector and the public sector don't talk to each other very nicely. How do we get governments to trust this type of approach and to be brought into a kind of ecosystem in which this all sort of the interoperability issues can be solved? I think it's, um, again, you need to figure out uh, which problems they need to solve. Uh, and, and therefore what they need to do to solve it. So the problem government needs to solve with healthcare is, uh, fostering access to care to everyone, uh, especially in a complex social and economical context, get our, get, getting better outcomes at country level. So people living longer and better health, uh, and, uh, controlling the cost of healthcare system, which we all know is climbing because of people aging. So that's the government's problems. Uh, the levers they have there, is try first to ensure that people stay healthier longer. And that's basically engaging insurance companies into prevention or wellness programs, ensuring people take care of themselves before they get into the healthcare system. So that's typically a strong incentive from governments to engage private sector in this area there. So that's number one. Uh, number two, you need to have data there. You need to have health data, performance data, etc. So if you create some infrastructures to aggregate data, uh, anonymize data and secure data, and make it available for research, then you can have an incentive for the pharmaceutical companies to invest in your country and develop new treatments, etc. So to solve their own problem, governments need to build their own path, which are infrastructures and digital platforms and digital data in healthcare, and they need to engage all the ecosystem into finding values for themselves. It's tricky. But we see some places where it really happens uh, with strong movements. My own country in France, there is a program which is at the same time building on the public side, attracting private and investing in startups so that they actually also develop innovative services. Um, uh, Germany was a little slower to get started, but now there is kind of a, a strong plan of investment at federal level and, and, and lender level. UK has made the strong push with putting a, a virtual consultation as a mandatory first uh, first step to access the healthcare system. So it's going to happen. It's, it just takes time. Uh, but government need to act on this. John, the insurance industry got terribly excited about blockchain about um, four or five years ago, and then the, the sort of the hype has died down. But I, but I feel that there's a role for it in there somewhere. Does, does the blockchain have a role here? Do you think? Can this form some framework around? A distrust issue? Yes, definitely. What I like about blockchain is that the shift in our mindset. So the philosophy behind the technology is here to stay. That we censor ourselves to become better humans and uh, to have a more sustainable way of life, not only in terms of environmental, but also in terms of health and healthcare. Um, it's here to stay. 
So definitely when it comes to trust, blockchain has a, a key role. But for me, it's not only that the technology is natively designed for security and trust. It's the fact that the blockchain has been a perfect excuse for some of the players to sit on the same table and talk. So as we participate in many consortiums around blockchain in Spain and globally, like E3i, Signus here in Spain, Alassia, and so on, the point is that at the same table, we are working really as one-to-one as peers with players that never were sitting on the same table before. And this is the way to move. Hello, Simon here. I'm the Digital Marketing Manager at Instec. Our in-person events are now back in full swing, with the next one taking place on the 29th of March. From MGA to Full Stack Insurer, everything you need to know is supported by PKF, and we'll examine what the evolution from MGA to Full Stack Insurer involves, including regulatory implications, raising capital, and where to go for guidance. The event's free to Instec members. More details on speakers and how to register are available at instec.london forward slash events. Nicholas, I've got one for you as well. Digital Twins has been a favourite of mine for some time. I first saw them, funnily enough, in relation to commercial buildings with people providing sort of complete uh, replicas of the way that commercial buildings will you know, behave in the future as a way of predicting risk and a way of predicting um, how the building will behave. Um, of, of course, we've got digital twins now for, for humans as well. Um, how far have they got and, and what role will they play in the future of digital healthcare? Maybe first an analogy. Uh, you said twins for buildings, but you have also twins for transportation, infrastructure, and you have also meta twins, which is a smart city twin, a right? digital twin of the city. If you think about health, it's the same thing. Um, because you might have a digital twin for hospital. How do you actually put all the data together to manage your hospital more efficiently, schedule the people, get the rooms, the equipment ready, improve the throughput and the quality? So that's an example of a twin. You might have also a drugs or equipment twin from, this, from producing, designing them, producing them, uh, um, distributing them, the logistics and supply chain, etc. All of this is very useful. For the pandemic, as an example, we're missing you know, information about where are the masks, where are the vaccines. That's because we're missing the twins. Another form of twin, if you're a pharmaceutical company and you want to develop drugs, you need to understand, you know, the population you're targeting, the impact of your treatment, uh, uh, make some tests, etc. And there is also kind of a, a, a medical procedure or treatment uh, twin there. Uh, the last one is the patient twin. So my digital double as a patient. Um, this one is probably the most complex. Um, and just imagine, you look at it with a horror picture. So I'm drinking, I'm smoking, I'm aging, I have some sign that I might have a cardiovascular problem. Immediately, this twin tells, don't insure me to an insurer, because I will not be profitable for the insurance company. Nobody wants this to happen. I can feel an Instech report on digital twins coming on. It's one of those things I really would like to write about across the sector and how it affects insurance. I think it's really, really interesting. John, back to you. I'm just thinking about um, what Nicholas said there and the thing that's heading insurance way on the increased personalization of uh, data, the ability to understand the risks of people better and the inevitable social outcomes that come from having um, a lot of people who are easy to insure at a good price and lots of people who become very difficult to insure. Um, is is there a map for a view on that? I, I mean, insurance has a, it's such a big role to play in this, but it is a huge dilemma for the industry, presumably. Definitely. There are lots of legal, ethical, 
um, technological issues here to address. Um, but I would like to challenge the point of view. So from the point of view of the issuer and even from the healthcare system, definitely we need those data. We need to incorporate them on our processes on the way we not only do pricing, we do servicing and et cetera, et cetera. Um, that's fine. But the point is here, how do we incorporate the point of view of the patient? We are talking about how we are sharing already data with uh, Google, if we use Android, if we use Google Chrome or Gmail, with uh, Apple, if we use an iPhone, with all these companies, definitely Netflix, Spotify, and so on. But at some point, we're getting some value back from it. So you know that your Netflix is tracking your activity in terms of viewing. Maybe you don't feel it very personal, but then you get, let's say, relevant recommendations. That's when you're shopping at Amazon and so on. That's perfect. In terms of healthcare and all these wearables, what's the value you're getting in return? So we need to move forward to unleash the power of data for research, for the benefit of the system and also of the healthcare, the sustainability of the healthcare and the insurance system. That's fine, but we need to make it quicker and or quick enough to make sure that we are delivering value to customers and that they will know that the more data they are giving, the more they are getting back. And I don't see this value being delivered today to the end user. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. Can I stay with you because um, you announced this week your insure space. Tell us a bit about that, if you can, because we, we will do what we can to support you at, at Instead. This is actually our fourth edition, and uh, it is very simple. The idea behind the program is that there is no program. So all insurance companies, as any other companies, companies from any other industry, have been trying to engage with the startup ecosystem in many different ways, incubators, accelerators, and direct investments, and uh, demo days, and so on. What we want to do is to expand our value proposition, especially in those countries in which we have a leading position, especially Spain and Latin America. And uh, we know that there are some startups that can help us expand this idea of value proposition of domain of permission from our brand, and at the same time, we can help them expand internationally. So what particular um, areas of insurance are you looking to address? There must be, you wouldn't be on here if there wasn't a sort of healthcare well-being element to it, but it's broader than that this year, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. We are not just looking at health insurance products. We're looking beyond that to services that may expand our value position in the health area and help our customers, you know, change their habits, lifestyle, prevention, aging, and so on. We're looking as well at uh, cybersecurity services and cyber insurance solutions for SMEs particularly. And that's a market that we already have here in Spain that we want to expand internationally. And finally, we're tackling the climate risk part. That's not something we can pick as an insurer. Oh, we want this risk, we won't want this risk. All our assets are exposed to climate risk already, so we'd better protect them. And then there's an application form. Uh, we've sent out details in our in our website and uh, our newsletter. I think what they, they go to your where, where do they go to 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 learn what the rules are and, and fill in the appropriate details. There's our website, which is insurespace.com. There are hyphens in the middle. You can just Google it. That's fine. Uh, you can access it also from mafre.com website. Um, there's an application process because there needs to be some formality, but we don't want application forms and the idea of programs. And I'm, I'm quoting here to scare startups or scale-ups. Just send us an email, contact us via LinkedIn or wherever, and, and we'll make it work. You've got some considerable appreciation of how startups work over the years, clearly. The, uh, look, from a personal point of view, congratulations. More and more insurers have pulled out of this whole innovation space. There's very few accelerators or effective accelerators working. You guys run one of the best. And, um, you know, I congratulate you for still doing it at such scale and so well. Although you are a, a digital healthcare expert, you must have a view on 
the role that health and life insurers are, have to pay, play in your world? I mean, what is that relationship? What's, what messages, if any, have you got for our community? I think on the insurance side, uh, healthcare is a very interesting opportunity. And, and the reason is if you look at life uh, or those kind of traditional insurance, basically the insurer is the payer. You have a claim and then you pay. Whereas in healthcare is throughout the life, from the beginning to the end, with frequent interactions. And therefore, that's the best place to basically create richer customer experiences all across the insurance spectrum. And that's an interesting point. So that's one. The second one is um, the ability of insurance company to become an aggregator of the tech ecosystem and be more innovative there in healthcare and therefore capturing future clients and newer generation. We talk about this with our uh, forum of insurance company there. It's definitely an opportunity. We see a lot of investment and momentum. So definitely there. Uh, the second aspect, and I'll be quick, is insurance only cover one part, which is well-being, wellness, prevention, etc. They don't They don't cover the treatment part. And if you want to have the impact end-to-end on the people, then you actually also need to cover that, so providing impact on the healthcare, etc. And therefore, larger partnerships are being formed with insurance companies on one side, pharmaceutical companies on the other, and the medtech, health tech, or the innovator, so that you can start covering the full spectrum of this. John, if you had one message to give to everybody, what would it be? Well, one of the key learnings uh, from the report we are building together with uh, with Accenture is that there won't be probably uh, the Amazon of healthcare. So the need for very specific capabilities and the specialization of players will make the ecosystem as it is today very complex and very fragmented. That means that we need to understand that collaboration is the only way to go. And uh, this is not an option. This is a must because no one will be um, a hold of the full value chain in healthcare. This is a huge theme, I think. We can't just all sit around competing with each other. There are so many issues that we can only fix by collaborating both in within the industry and with other people who touch on our industry. We won't be able to solve the problems that lie ahead without, without that. Look, that was really fascinating. I, I felt really in the hands of two really genuine experts. I really found that fascinating. Thank you both so much. There was quite a lot of reports and things referred to uh, in in there. So I will be back to you to check in the details and we'll make sure that when the podcast goes out, we will add the appropriate collateral. So thanks both for joining us. That's it for today. And if you feel you might be missing out by not being a member of Instec and want to find out what we can do to share your stories with the world and help you understand what is really going on out there, whether you are building technology or whether you are buying it, then please do contact me, Matthew Grant, on LinkedIn or any of us at hello at instec.london. <laughs>